a guide to mental and emotional wellness. Biblical wisdom, practical principles, clinical insight. By me, Dr. Jennifer Lundgren. Chapter 3. Who am I? The role of identity in wellness. Quote, God's own child, I'll gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. Quote, Today you are you, that is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. Shout loud, I am lucky to be what I am. Dr. Seuss Identity is a critical indicator of behavior. How we identify is a strong indicator of what we do. I'm not talking about gender identity or sexual orientation, but all of the labels and the words that we have about ourselves that indicate how we view ourselves. Oxford Languages defines identity as the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. Identity is the fact of you being who you are. The word comes from Latin, and it literally means your repeated beingness. It isn't just about your persona online or your personal branding. It's about who you are at your core. There's a Latin phrase that seems to sum up this concept well. Esse quam videre, which means to be rather than to seem. I once heard the concept that the most powerful force in the human personality is the need to stay consistent with how we define ourselves. Understanding our personal definitions of ourselves is critical to be aware of because we as humans strive to operate in alignment with how we define ourselves. But how does your repeated beingness develop? What makes you who you are? You are redeemed by Christ with his blood. God sees you in Christ's image and in many beautiful and unique ways. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. What a beautiful reminder that you and I are chosen, royal, holy, and special. Ephesians 2.10 describes us as God's handiwork, and John 1.12 reminds us that we are children of God. Romans 8.17 expands on that and states that if we are his children, then we are also heirs. The definition of the word heir is especially powerful. It is defined in Oxford languages as a person legally entitled to the property or rank of another on that person's death. That is a special, unique, honorable position to be in, but it is absolutely priceless to be the heir of God himself. 1 Corinthians 12.27 reminds us that we are the body of Christ, and each one of us is a part of it. 1 Corinthians 6.19 describes our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. We are so cherished by God. We were made by him in his image. It is comforting and awe-inspiring to be reminded of how revered we are by God himself. It makes any worldly identity pale in comparison to how God sees us and who we are through faith in him. And we must remember to look at our worldly labels in light of what God says about us first. Our worldly labels and identities typically start to develop early on and evolve based on the feedback we receive from our primary caregivers and those early in our lives. Our identities are critical because they implicate what we think, how we feel, 
what we are and aren't willing to do, and the habits and behaviors we engage in, what complicates this even further is that they sometimes evolve based on how we think others perceive us. In 1902, the sociologist Charles Horton Cooley wrote, I am not what I think I am, and I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. Our identities are wrapped up in what others think of us, or more accurately, what we think others think of us. Cooley called this phenomenon the looking glass self. Not only are our self-images tied up in how we think others see us, but most of our efforts at self-improvement can become attempts of trying to meet that imagined ideal. We form our, our identities based on what we believe others think of us. It's fascinating. It's powerful. If you are the oldest child and take care of everyone, you're likely to be labeled and perceived as the caregiver, as the responsible one, as the one who is dependable and trustworthy. You start to get this feedback from parents and peers, and this is how you perceive others think you are. You might become the one who tells on others who are misbehaving in school, or you might be the designated sober driver in college. In adulthood, you might become the one who hosts every family gathering and sends out color-coded lists of what everyone should bring. Many times our labels are protective for us, and they make us who we are. We identify as Christians, so we go to church every Sunday, pray before we eat, and read devotions every night. If we identified as atheists, our behavior looks very different. We might identify as creative, or type A, or a slacker, or a cheesehead, or outdoorsy, or an awesome cook. Sometimes we carry labels that developed in our childhood or adolescence that might not be true anymore. Sometimes we develop labels that are self-critical or simply cruel to ourselves. I'm a stupid loser, or I'm a dumb farm boy, or I'm a crazy psycho who doesn't make any sense. Lots of labels from the past may hold us back. If you received feedback from a certain teacher that you weren't smart, you likely self-selected yourself out of going to medical school. If you got feedback from others that you weren't organized or weren't careful or were disruptive, this shaped how you saw yourself. It's important to think about what labels simply aren't true. Many are fictional and given to us by society. Take some time to ponder this. What if you are good at art, but you never believed that you were? What if you are athletic, even though you weren't a jock in high school? What if you can influence people, even though you think of yourself as introverted as quiet? It's important for us to become conscious of the identities that we align with. Reflection break. Take a minute and think of 10 labels that are in alignment with how you define yourself. List them. How do these labels impact your behavior? How are they strengths? How do they hold you back? Let's focus on how our identities might impede our growth and hold us back. If you identify as a die-hard Minnesota Vikings football fan and the Vikings lose, how do you feel? How do you treat your family differently? They say that the testosterone of sports fans drops when their teams lose, 
And this in turn can make men irritable and aggressive. Over-identifying with a sports team can be a barrier to relationships or becoming our best selves. If we become too strongly attached to our labels, it can leave us feeling fragile and exposed. If we were to lose them for any reason, we lose our sense of who we are. Take my label as a professor. What if I got sick and was unable to work any longer? What if I got fired from my job? Who would I be then? How would I feel about myself if my whole identity was wrapped up in the idea of being a professor and I could no longer be one? This often happens when people retire. Their health and their happiness start to go downhill because they've lost their sense of self and no longer identify with the role they had in their careers. I once did an identity exercise in a training I hosted for mental health providers. When I asked about how our identities can be protective or detrimental to us professionally, our participant in my training, who was about a 50-year-old white male, brought up a great example. He said that he identifies as a farm boy, and this always meant that he's dependable, hardworking, and determined. He's a fabulous employee. He's always on time, always gets his paperwork completed, and he's at the office no matter the weather. He aligns strongly with this farm boy mentality, and it has served him well professionally. At the same time, this identification with being a farm boy and having those values also has some setbacks. He comes off as rigid and judgmental to younger employees. He doesn't have understanding or empathy if his coworkers take a sick day or get to work late. He doesn't understand other personality types that may be more flexible and easier going. It was a powerful moment for him in the training to gain this awareness about himself and how his identity as a farm boy could be a great strength for him, but could also hold him back in some other ways. Some of these labels and perceptions of ourselves might be old, or there may be barriers or identities we would like to develop. After doing a lot of thinking and reflection, I realize that I have never identified as a healthy person. Healthy people equaled the people who made me feel guilty when I'm eating cheese dip and drinking margaritas at a Mexican restaurant. When I thought of healthy people, I thought of people who are demonized in the media as the mom who only bring organic and non-GMO food to bake sales, only eat kale, and make everyone else feel like a slob. Healthy to me meant disconnection, feeling left out, not having fun, all things that are counterintuitive to my nature. In reality, I frequently do the Whole30 food plan to reset my body and my brain, I fast every day and I drink bulletproof coffee for breakfast. I work out and I sit in a sauna between five to seven times per week. I was living as a healthy person, but I still had a barrier to identifying as one. I know that sounds weird, but it was profound for me to uncover. Once I embraced the identity of being healthy, maintaining good habits was easier. It wasn't about what I did. It was about who I was. What's interesting about our identities, as James Clear points out in his book Atomic Habits, is that we tend to engage in behaviors that most support the identities that we are most proud of. My sister is a runner. In fact, in November 2022, she ran four marathons in four days in four different states. Yes, you heard that correctly. 
four marathons in four days. She is a runner. That is part of who she is, and that's part of who she is that she should be very proud of. Because she's a runner, she runs nearly every day. When I talked to her on the phone after she got back from her trip, she was on her way to the gym to go running. I, on the other hand, do not identify as a runner, but strongly identify as a reader. I read to my children every day. I read by myself every day as well for at least 20 minutes before bed. I'm proud of this identity. I consider reading to be a powerful venue to professional growth, which is one of my core values. Reading a variety of books greatly informs my professional work, and it gives me a lot of interesting things to talk about with my husband and friends and colleagues. Reading with my children is a beautiful bonding time. We learn new words and fall in love with the characters of our series together. Personal and professional growth can occur when you develop identities that you're proud of. Our true identities stem from a foundation as redeemed children of God. Knowing that when you ask yourself, who do I want to become, you can gain further clarity for the ways in which you'd like to grow. That is when your brain starts to create a picture of your ideal self and you can work towards growing into that person. That's a technique that's called the best self. That comes from the Yale Institute of Emotional Intelligence director Mark Brackett in his book Permission to Feel. Simply put, the best self is an ideal that we can think about and live up to. It's a picture of the person we are working toward becoming. It's a continual process to close the gap between where we are and where we would like to be. It's an idealized version of ourselves. When I think about my best self, I think about being very calm and present with whomever and whatever I'm doing at the time. I think about making people feel like they matter. My best self soaks in the moments with my kids and continually offers gratitude and appreciation for my husband. I'm constantly working on becoming more calm, present, and appreciative, and that's okay. I have a clear intention of who I want to become. Reflection break. Describe your best self. You might think of adjectives or even an image that helps your best self appear to you. You might also think about your reputation. How do you want to be seen, talked about, or experienced? How do you behave when someone you respect is watching? Question 2. Your personal identity comes from your values. Your personal values are another important indicator of your behaviors. Values are the beliefs that are most important to you, and they help you clarify what matters to you. They help your behavior stay in alignment with what you cherish the most. Think about this for a bit and jot down some things that you value and cherish. So what do you truly value in life? Below I've listed some possible values to help you. This is not an exhaustive list, so use it as a guide only, and feel free to add your own. Choose two values. And the values listed, accountability, achievement, activism, adaptability, adventure, altruism, ambition, authenticity, balance, beauty, being the best, belonging, career, caring, 
collaboration, commitment, community, compassion, connection, contentment, contribution, courage, creativity, curiosity, dignity, diversity, environment, equality, excellence, faith, family, forgiveness, freedom, friendship, fun, generosity, giving back, gratitude, growth, harmony, health, home, honesty, hope, humility, humor, independence, initiative, integrity, intuition, joy, justice, kindness, knowledge, leadership, learning, legacy, leisure, love, loyalty, making a difference, nature, openness, optimism, order, parenting, patience, patriotism, peace, perseverance, personal fulfillment, power, pride, reliability, resourcefulness, respect, responsibility, risk-taking, security, self-discipline, self-respect, serenity, service, simplicity, spirituality, stewardship, success, teamwork, time, tradition, travel, trust, truth, understanding, vision, vulnerability, wealth, well-being, wholeheartedness, and wisdom. And you can write your own. Value number one. Think of a time when you were operating in alignment with this value. What was happening for you? How did it feel? How were you behaving? Question two. Think of a time when you were operating out of alignment with this value. What was happening for you? How did it feel? How were you behaving? What do you need to do to create more alignment with this value? Value number two. Think of a time when you were operating in alignment with this value. What was happening for you? How did it feel? How were you behaving? Question two. Think of a time when you were operating out of alignment with this value. What was happening for you? How did it feel? How were you behaving? Question three. 
What do you need to do to create more alignment with this value? This process of consciously defining your identity is critically important because it helps you develop alignment. Alignment is when your inner values and external actions match up with one another. But how do you know if you're operating in alignment if you have never taken the time to define what your values are in the first place? The values exercise is incredibly powerful and designed to help you assess your internal values. Once you have done this, you'll be able to see if your day-to-day behaviors match up with them. Do you say that you value undistracted time with your family, yet your real-world evidence show that you hardly have any at all? Do you say that you value health, yet on reflection you never have time for self-care? Do you say that you value your close friends, when in reality you have not found time to catch up and connect with them in the past six months? It's important to remember that the values exercise is unique to you. It is critical to gain awareness and ensure your actions are matching up with your values. Over time, these exercises can help you tweak your daily behaviors so that you can become more aligned, which can have transformative effects on your faith, health, and happiness. Clarifying who you are and who you want to become is a helpful exercise, along with remembering that you are a child of God first and foremost. If you'd like to purchase your copy of Jenna's book, just go to the Time of Grace store or click the link in today's episode notes. Thanks for listening.